This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my incredibly super-duper esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectacular co-host, and we are joined by an equally super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-times-awesome, fantabulous, spectacular guest who is also one of the co-founders of Hardwood Knox, slash he is the founder of NBA Math, slash he remains the editor-in-chief of NBA Math, slash he is a writer for Bleacher Report, Mr. Adam Frommel. You can find him on Twitter, at Frommel09. We're so excited to get this throwback pod going, but before we do, I just want to remind everyone to please rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes. We are closing in on the century mark on the ratings. And so yeah. if, you us, if you can help us get there, Andy and I will be in love with you forever. And don't forget to throw us a, a review in there, too, if you have some thoughts. And, and definitely, if you haven't already, subscribe to us. If you have, steal your family's phones and subscribe to us. They will, they will thank you later. Friends, family, frenemies, people you don't know on the street, they will all, they will all thank you later. Um, the pod is going to be mostly about today, I think, making sense of the shit show that is both the Tankathon and the playoff sweepstakes. Uh, we're super excited to get there, but I think the question that everyone really wants to know, with apologies to Andy, is how does it feel to be back, Adam? I'm, I'm so excited to be back, and I feel a lot like Daenerys Targaryen here with that, that introduction. I, I kind of want to tack that on to the Twitter profile and just make people refer to me by that at all times. Can I just say how impressed I am? I think you repeated each of the uh, adjectives that you used for me. Like you were you were five yeah. for five or whatever. Let's I was wondering if you wrote it down. I my memory is so good. I can tell you J.R. Smith's true souping percentage. I'm not sorry. Oh boy, I'm not sorry. <laughs> People hated that joke on Twitter. I was so upset. It was. Did you guys see really quick? J.R. Smith he threw chicken tortilla soup. That was the report. From is Jason that confirmed? Lloyd Jason Lloyd of the Athletic tweeted it out yesterday. I'm so glad we know that now. <laughs> Do we know why he did it? Yeah, he's J.R. Smith. <laughs> I'm I'm still waiting for like what did J Damon Jones say or do to <laughs> piss J.R. Smith off? I know he had like a little uh, 
mini press conference with the media yesterday, but I didn't, I didn't watch it, so I don't know. Yeah, he didn't um, like he didn't really address it. He said he saw the memes, um, and he was like upset. One of the things he said, and this was from uh, he told all the reporters, but I was reading the Dave McMenamin piece over at ESPN.com. He said if this was 15 years ago, nobody would have even knew. It's just part of the game. Like, don't throw freaking soup. It doesn't matter whether you don't throw soup. I just have I have trouble picturing J.R. Smith eating soup. Like on the list of foods that J.R. Smith would eat, that would be very near the bottom. Well, chicken's got protein. He wouldn't tell the media either what. Honestly, I didn't even remember he said when asked about the soup. But I, I, Jason Lloyd did tweet out that it was chicken tortilla. Was it warm, like lukewarm? I hope it's gotta be warm. Who eats cold soup? (laughs) I mean, do we do we even know that he was eating it? Like, what if this was just on a table that somebody else had been eating from, and then he just like picked it up and threw it at him? Yeah, there's so many unanswered questions here. Yeah, wasn't maybe he should write a Players Tribune piece on it? (laughs) (laughs) I'd read it. Oh, I would. I would read it in a heartbeat. It would probably be the most read piece in that site's history. (laughs) <laughs> um anyway enough about jr smith's eating preferences and I, i'm just gonna say enough talking about the Cavs defense already because it doesn't exist and we haven't even got there yet but adam had an interesting question out of uh before we kind of hopped on air so while since he's the guest and i should really be steering him towards it i want you to pose the question to the listeners and and just in general about the western conference playoff race right now yeah, so I mean, we're looking at these jam-packed standings in the West, and obviously the Rockets and the Warriors are in, but that leaves eight eight teams competing for six slots, and no one has any idea how that's going to end up shuffling out. So I'm wondering if there's a single team among that group that you would feel comfortable betting your bank account on them making the playoffs. I do not. So that group. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't either. That group is the Blazers, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Jazz. The Blazers and Pelicans have 26 losses. Spurs have 27. Wolves, Pelicans, Thunder, and Nuggets, and Clippers all have 28, and the Jazz have 30. So the the difference in the loss column between the third-place Blazers and the 10th-place Jazz is four games. And it seems like every night after the, the like slate of games is over, at least three or four teams have changed positions in the standings, except for the Jazz, who somehow remain in 10th for like in <laughs> perpetuity. But it, it seems to even go beyond that, too, right? Because like Butler is out now for the Wolves, and Cousins has yep. been out for the Pelicans, and we know that Kawhi isn't playing anytime soon, and Robertson's gone for the Thunder, and Millsap is coming back for the Nuggets, and Gobert is being worked in for the Jazz. So everything is changing in different orders, and nothing makes sense. Which which one are you closest to having the confidence to make Adam's bet on? I don't even even I, that is a hard question. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that I do. I don't understand. Like I want to say the Thunder, but they've just been so unreliable, even in victories that went over the Suns. I watched the second half of it basically on Friday. The recent win over the Kings. They needed Russell Westbrook to hit the buzzer beater. The Timberwolves have just been self-destructing without. Pel- I don't. I don't have a pick. I mean, gun to the head, and this this seems so stupid. But I almost, I almost feel like the Jazz, just because they're healthy. <laughs> their schedule is the like one of the ten easiest remaining in the league, um, and their record has come while basically playing out like the toughest schedule in the league. 
right now. So I like, I, and that's that sounds so stupid to say because they're in tenth right now and two games back in the loss column of the playoff race. But I don't trust the Clippers. I I just I don't know. The Blazers have been spectacular. They they're starting to win games again at home. But I just there's something about them that just makes me. I, I don't know, uneasy. Maybe their, like, offense was too bad for too long, or maybe I just, I'm not a, uh, like, Nurkic guy. I just, I honestly don't know. And they, you know, they do have the fifth hardest remaining schedule in the West and in the league. So it's just, I, it's so hard to predict. Do you have anyone, Adam, that you would even wager a guess on? Not at all. But I think if they're, if you pose the same question to me, like, gun to my head, which team am I picking? It would probably be Portland, which... I'm having trouble wrapping my head around, but they do have a half game advantage over everybody else, which I guess has to matter at, at some level. And I believe in their defense. Uh, and that's more than I can say about like any other team right now, just because there's so many questions and so many mixing pieces with every other team. And they're the one where they, they're, they're at least enjoying some semblance of continuity. But again, like, actually... they have the fifth toughest schedule remaining. So who, who the hell knows? Yeah. I was going to say the Blazers, too, and uh, Dan throwing out their remaining schedule kind of made me hesitant as well. But, uh, yeah, they're 37-26 and 26 right now, like Adam mentioned. That's three games ahead of the, the ninth-place Clippers. So they're only two ahead in the loss column, but they're three games ahead overall. I think they have plenty of star power at the top. Damian Lillard's been unbelievable this season and and I think we've even talked about this on the pod at, at certain points this season I've really sort of been down on that roster after their top two guys um Shabazz Napier had a really nice run for a while but um so I mean in the past I've talked about not being as confident in them but they just I, I think the word continuity is big which Adam just brought up they they've had most of this group together for a couple of years now uh, they seem to be sort of clicking in at the right time. They're eight and two in their last ten, which is a better record in the last ten than every other team in this discussion, um, other than the Jazz, who are also eight and two in their last ten. So they they just seem to be sort of hitting their stride at the right moment. The other team that I was tempted to pick though is the Pelicans, and I'm wondering, Dan, if you have their the their remaining strength of schedule. Yes, I do. They have in the in the league, it's eighth. In the conference, it's sixth. So, like sixth hardest, sixth hardest in the conference, eighth hardest in the league. So it's you know, I mean, and the, I'm the thing like, is, I've, the thing when we say this though is, it, it might actually matter more in the conference than in the league because Western Conference teams playing Western Conference teams just means. I mean, if you yeah, look like, yeah, sure. one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, <laughs> eight teams uh, from the West have a top ten hardest schedule remaining in the league. So that's like that's completely skewed by the conference. So the conference standing is more important. And sixth hardest in the conference, That's, you know, when you're looking, the Bla- the Clippers, Blazers, Thunder, and Spurs all have a harder remaining schedule than them. One thing I've, yeah. I've been really struggling to grapple with here that, that ties in is whether you would rather have fewer games remaining or more games remaining. Like, do you want to be the Thunder with only 17 left, or do you want to be the Clippers with 21 left? Because I can't really tell if the teams that get in are going to do so by getting hot or by avoiding getting cold. <laughs> That's a good question. I guess if you're the Timberwolves, um, you'd I guess rather you have more... the less because you don't have Butler. But... Yeah. Because you're not getting Yeah, I hot. guess it would be situation-specific. <laughs> if, if you were 
of the mind that I want to control my own destiny, I guess you would probably want more um, to either give yourself more of a cushion or, or make up more ground. But that's a good point about the Timberwolves. They, they certainly don't want more games without Jimmy Butler. Um, have you guys seen their remaining schedule or looked at it lately? The Timberwolves? Yeah, it's pretty middle ground. Well, just listen to their next, um, I think, eight games. At home against the Celtics, at home against the Warriors, on the road against the Wizards, on the road against the Spurs, at home against the Rockets, at home against the Clippers, on the road against the Knicks, and on the road against the Sixers. I mean, there's a chance they might win one of those games. I was going to just say the same thing. The Knicks, look, that that game in New York should probably be a win. They could go 1-7 in in the rest of those eight, which would be one in uh, a a 10-game stretch that's 1-9. in that's less than ideal, I think. <laughs> um, so that's another team to certainly look at. Is like they could legitimately miss out on this thing. I, th- I think, fortunately for them, though, the rest of their schedule after that is pretty easy. So long as they survive this portion, I'm looking at at Tankathon for remaining schedule strengths and still seeing them at the 13th hardest remaining. Uh, and and it's, it definitely works to their advantage that they have the fewest games remaining of any NBA team. So like it, it, it'll be rough for the next week or so, but I, I, it should ease up. But is there mentally, spiritually, when you don't have Jimmy Butler, it, let's say they go 2-8 and eight over their next 10, and I'll be shocked. The games you named, I'll be shocked if they win more than two. Is there, is there any way to come back from that, though? And even if... And the other that thing would that be, we can't That would for- certainly rattle them, for sure. Right, and the, the other thing that we can't forget is that... Once Jimmy Butler comes back, like we're assuming, is it even gonna? First of all, is it even gonna be before the end of the regular season? Probably not. And even if it is, you have to work on reintegrating him, and he's probably not gonna be the same Jimmy Butler. And while he could, in theory, that might work on offense because you could just have him like be a spot up guy and just not assume as much of the ball handling because you have Towns and Wiggins and Teague, even Tyus Jones and Crawford coming off the bench. Like, that's not going to help your defense, which is already bad. So th- th- the strength of their schedule is almost – like, this stretch could – like, they need to – we've seen them self-destruct at, like, that game against the Jazz. Um, they were leading for much of that game against the Blazers on Thursday night, and Portland eventually came back. Like, this could just be one of those, like, psychologically, like, d- denigrating stretches that they're just not able to, com- to come back from. I think it's important to remember that Cat always lands on his feet, though. Oh God! <laughs> he didn't. didn't you uh, miss me? <laughs> um, Adam, that was such a good joke that I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> that was such a bad Sorry. joke that I've been vomiting so for the past fifteen seconds. <laughs> um, what if the Spurs miss? That was a so that was a scenario that, that Adam proposed before the thing, or maybe it was you, Andy. I can't remember before we started recording saying. There's a chance that both the Thunder and the Spurs could miss the playoffs. That's Let's it. Look at That's those like, I don't schedules. have any other thoughts besides <laughs> just reiterating what one of you said before the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, that was me, and, and I think Andy had been toying with that idea beforehand as well. But it's it's one of those things where you it's so inconceivable yet possible that dumbfounded silence is probably an appropriate way to follow that up. What? Uh, let's look at the Spurs' remaining schedule. You, I think you already told 
you might have already mentioned it, but I can't remember yeah, if it it's was the hardest in the league. Recording. Yeah, it is the hardest, hardest remaining schedule in the league. Um, so that's not ideal. <laughs> and of course, we've we've talked about the Kawhi Leonard injury story on here before. Um, I mean, it would seem so Spursy if they missed the playoffs and then won the lottery, like out of the <laughs> best odds. Or if they found that somebody yet. that was like. It also would be very Spursy if they found the best player in this draft at like number fourteen. Um, I, the the fifty the fifty win season streak is probably over too. Um, is there any like I don't know? Is there any reason for lasting concern for the Spurs if they miss the playoffs? Like are are they in danger of losing Kawhi now? No one really knows what's up with that relationship, right? The thing I'd be more concerned about is immediately is what's up with Lamarcus Aldridge's ankle. They probably don't need him against the Grizzlies when they put, face them, but like if he misses any sort of time, their offense has not been good when he's not on the floor. Yeah, who's the, who's the go-to guy if both of those guys are out? Patty Rudy Mills. Gay? Patty Mills time. <laughs> That's. I guess daunting. we can see a lot of Manu too. There was yeah. so they, they closed the game, and I haven't looked this up, and I haven't necessarily seen a ton of lineup, but they closed the game against the Pelicans, and they played a lot of those final minutes against the Pelicans with Gay, Manu, Mills, Murray, and Bertons on the floor. And I was, like, watching this lineup, and I was like, I really like this lineup, but it, it cannot play defense. And it was the first time that they rolled it out, apparently, and it was for a five-minute stretch, and their net rating during that five minutes was a minus 53.4. Defensive wow. rating of 144.4. I mean, again, it's five minutes, but the offense, just looking at it, like, it looked like it could hum. And maybe there's some variation defense, like you could take, like if you, so if you had Kwai back in the fold and you put him in for Rudy Gay, like maybe that lineup becomes exponentially better. I, I, like, I, I don't know. So that was just interesting. But that's what, that's what they're left to do at this point, right? Is like they're futzing and fiddling with a rotation in a way that they're not used to like not having a go-to guy, like even a semblance of one. If LaMarcus Aldridge misses time, you who do you go to? I mean, Parker and Ginobili are past their prime. You don't have Kawhi. Uh, your offense without Lamarcus Aldridge on the floor this year is averaging one hundred and one point seven points per one hundred possessions, which is akin to ranking twenty seventh overall. That's uh, it's worse than the. Excuse me, I lied. It's the akin of ranking twenty eighth. It's worse than the Atlanta Hawks, which is Ooh. saying something. So I. I penciled the Spurs in as a lock, and I, I I still think I have too much blind faith in the Spurs to pick them as one of the. And we're probably going to need to get to that so that we could sort through it as who do you guys have out. But I, I just find it tough to leave the Spurs out. I'm wondering who do you think's more likely to miss though, the Thunder or the Spurs? Is it for you, Adam? Is but, it San Antonio? I think it is, and we haven't really mentioned many concerns with their defense, but it seems like they've slowed down a little bit. This is a, a veteran-laden team that that is going to have trouble down the stretch because the wear and tear of the season takes its toll. So since since the beginning of February, they've played 10 games. They're 2-8, and eight, which is very unspursy. And they have 109.1 defensive rating, which is 19th over that span. So for this team to win, we've seen all season that it had to be on the backs of a dominant defense. Like They've been one of the top two or three defenses all season long. And with concerns about LaMarcus Aldridge who has been their offense, not a key piece of their offense, but he has been their offense. If the defense slips at all, that's really concerning, and there's no margin for error here. I'm going to see if I can uh, – I think I might be with 
Adam here, and I'm going to see if I can dissuade Dan from his lock for the Spurs. So they are 2-8 and eight in their last 10, like Adam just said. Listen to their next 10. Versus the Grizzlies, that's not concerning. But then they go <laughs> at Golden State, at Oklahoma City, at Houston. Orlando is a nice break for them. Then it's uh, at home against the Pelicans, at home against the Wolves, at home against the Warriors, at home against the Wizards, and at home against the Jazz. So it's nice that that last stretch is all at home, but that's uh, out of 10, there are eight playoff teams in there. Two of two of those games are against the Warriors, who seem determined to go on a little run here. I think Clay Thompson even said the other day that he talked to Curry about wanting to rip off another big winning streak because he felt like they hadn't done it in a while. Um, this is another team that I think could be facing that psychological barrier that you were talking about earlier, Dan. Like They're already in the midst of a, of a rough stretch, and it could get even worse in the next couple weeks. That stretch... Like doesn't even bother me so much for some reason. The Warriors games and the Rockets games feel like washes, like they're going to get beat. I don't know that there's another team on there that totally scares me. If the Spurs aren't defending as well, as Adam said, over their last 10, and even over their last 20 games, they're outside the top 10 in defensive efficiency, which is a big deal. I just, I mean, I... it's it, Again, I even said it before, It's not. I don't think that I'm making a rational decision so to speak, <laughs> but it's just having the blind faith in the Spurs. But I, I readily admit that, I mean, even, so look at LaMarcus Aldridge, even when he's healthy. The Spurs won, they're 13-21, and 21, I believe, against teams above 500. That's a, pro- that's a problem. Um, it's, the sec- it's the second worst record among the West top teams against winning squads this season. But even, like, Aldridge, like, you, if he's your offensive hub, like, he subsists on a really tough turnaround jumpers or a huge share of his offense. And that's not the way to necessarily run an efficient offense for an entire season. The Spurs are lucky that they've kind of gotten away with it till this point when he's on the floor. And then to have you be so reliant on that guy to where your offense just plunges when he steps off, I mean, it's that's a hell of a line to toe. So I, I think you're helping us make our point here. But I'm saying it's not rational. It's just, I mean, the other thing is, is I don't. So for me, starting there, I think the two teams that miss it in the West, as of now, are going to end up being the Nuggets and the Clippers. And I just don't trust the Clippers, even though they've, they've been fun. They're seven and three over their last ten. This is, I think Andy and I have talked about this before. This is one of Doc Rivers' better coaching jobs, maybe his best coaching job. I just, I still don't. I'm not there with them yet. Like, their defensive success over this stretch feels kind of hollow to me. I just, when I look at their roster, I I don't see it. I I just don't see a a ton of defensive talent on there. And for the Nuggets, they've just, I know they're getting Millsap back, but there have been problems, like, to kind of balance him and Nikola Jokic all season. And then a big thing for me is they've already played. 33 home games. So they're going to have a fairly road-heavy schedule the rest of the way. Um, they have 11 games remaining at home. So, I mean, I guess, I mean, 11 and 9 isn't that much, but they're 11 and 19 away from Pepsi Center. And that's just not, and they're barely 500 in the conference. Uh, so I just don't, I just, I, I don't know. There's something about them that I just feel, and I really like the Nuggets. But there's something about them after you go beyond, when Millsap's healthy, you go beyond their sixth guy. Um, on the roster, and there, it just doesn't feel like there's any reliable production whatsoever. 
This is a um, sentence I couldn't really yeah, have imagined. Ahead. This is a sentence I couldn't really have imagined saying before the season started. But I'm definitely worried about the Clippers staying in the playoff race now that they can't get any more out of Tyrone Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, in, I'm entirely serious. Is his uh, he was on like a 45 day or a 10 day or one of those, right? Is he officially off the roster now? He's he's officially off the roster. He turned down a four year contract offer from them. They're looking into Derrick oh, Rose yeah. because they can't figure out what they're going to do with Wallace. And he was a pretty crucial part of the recent success: the defensive intensity, the ability to get to the basket, giving them another guard alongside Lou Williams. Like th- this team is not exactly flush with talent, especially compared to the other teams that are competing for these playoff spots. And and losing a piece like that, who's played a big role lately, is is a significant loss. I had no idea he turned down a four-year offer. That seems crazy for a person, for a player in that position. Yeah, I don't know the details of that contract. Yeah, that's weird. Um, I'm assuming it yeah, had I'm to be like, like every single season was non-guaranteed, basically. Yeah, yeah it must yeah. have been something like that. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm with you guys. I'm not super confident in the Clippers either. Um, concerning the Nuggets, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. What's <laughs> this is so strange to me that it seems like I, I think they're a better team when Millsap is in the lineup. I, the numbers show that they that sort of typical starting five they have with uh, Murray, Harris, Chandler, Millsap, and Jokic has been really good all season. For some reason, though, it, just his presence on the floor seems to persuade Jokic not to shoot. And it's just so strange to me. Um, from January 1st up until Millsap's return, Jokic was taking 14 shots a game. He was averaging 18 points, 11 rebounds, and 8 assists, which is those numbers are just insane, obviously. In the three games since Millsap's been back, he's averaging six shots a game. Um, is he just. Is he just deferring too much to sort of help Millsap get his legs back underneath him? Is this something that is like a, a legitimate concern for you guys for the Nuggets is figuring out how to play those two guys together? Or do we just trust the numbers and say they've they've been beating teams pretty handily when they're both on the floor, so don't worry about it? Well, Jokic is a naturally passive player. He he generally wants to create for others rather than do any of the heavy lifting. He's pretty much one of the NBA's anti-stars, even though he plays like a star, right? So it seems like from from watching the Nuggets, it 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 really feels like he's doing the deferring to Millsap when it should be happening the other way around. I'm not sure that it's a big concern because, like you said, the numbers definitely work in this lineup's favor. But for me, it seems to be a floor versus ceiling issue where with Millsap and Jokic on the floor, the Nuggets are going to be good. Like there's there's too much talent on the floor at all times when they're playing for them to to hemorrhage points, for them to to blow big leads. But the ceiling isn't quite there like it is when the ball is always in Jokic's hands and he's making everyone else better. And I feel like they could they could still do that with Millsap in the lineup. Like I think they could play the same way as they did when Barton and Chandler were starting at the three and the four. It's, somebody just has to convince those two, Millsap and Jokic, to, to play that way. I don't know. I think it was Josh Lloyd. He hosts the uh, Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast the other day. He said something like, I, I just don't understand how they, the Malone and Millsap don't see it. Because you saw it play out so well for the last two months. I don't know why they wouldn't want to just plug him in and say, continue to do what the other guys were doing. 
And that sounds yeah, kind of I mean, weird, especially to say that to an all-star, but um, it just, and the Malone like, Jokic relationship is so strange though. And it has been, yeah, all it is season. go into that. Yeah. Like they seem to get along. Well, he seems to boost his confidence when it's necessary. And, and granted, I haven't spent any time around the team this season, like I have in the last couple of years, but we've we've seen the quotes where he'll say that that Gary Harris is the team's best player and it's just it's bizarre that there hasn't been more of a commitment to Jokic being the face of the franchise with the exception of the occasional quote where he says that that he should be in the MVP race or or something like that but it doesn't seem like the actions back up the words there it's been weird dating like remember the whole like Josef Nurkic thing uh with, so weird. Yeah, so it's been weird dating back. They seem close. We know Malone went to Serbia to see Jokic over the summer. So part of it seems like, hey, maybe they are close. But then you just look at some of the decision-making, like how, one, what he did with Nurkic, two, and, and how long but it he took tried him it to again figure. with Plumley this season, right. too. And then to let Millsap, and you don't want to say that Millsap is hijacking the Nuggets offense, so to speak, but to continue to not have players adjust around Jokic, it seems, when he's supposed to be your franchise centerpiece. Mike Malone, who I actually, and maybe I'm just biased because I'm a member of the media and he seems like he's a very candid, just very open quote, but is his job going to be in jeopardy if the Nuggets don't make the playoffs? Yes. It it has to be, right, because they'll be up against the tax if they max out Jokic, as a lot of people think they will, should they decline his team option, and there is a path for them to carve out space if they dump other contracts, but this isn't a team that is flush with great home attendance standings, and if you don't make the playoffs or if you get bounced in the first round, I don't know that you're willing to dive in to the luxury tax right away, so it could be a matter of, well, the coaching staff is something that we have the power to change, like a Hornets-type situation. There are people close to the team that have said that if they miss the playoffs that his job will be in jeopardy. And Malone, Malone is such an interesting figure here because his identity as an NBA head coach has been predicated upon defensive ability forever. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's been his calling card. And it's I, I think some of the hesitation to fully embrace Jokic and, and build a lineup and and schemes around him has been that offense is better than defense for him and that working in that manner is going to ensure that the Nuggets are winning games by scoring 130 points and allowing 120. And that's been tough for him to adjust to and to fully accept. And my guess is, and this is purely conjecture, is that having the luxury of having Millsap back in the lineup, who has been a a fringe defensive player of the year candidate in previous seasons with the Hawks, fills him with some sort of confidence that they can start winning games through defense again. And that's why we're, we're seeing more adjustments than we should. The one thing I want to add before Bandy, I'm sure Bandy, wow, Bailey, Bales, <laughs> Andy has something, I'm sure he has something to say. So before Millsap returned, like these, this, the Nuggets are just, it, it's as Andy said before, the Nuggets can still be good with them on the floor even if the dynamic isn't perfect because they were a plus 9.7 points per 100 possessions in the 325 minutes they locked together before Millsap's injury. And since he came back, they're not nearly as potent, and the offense is just it, it's mediocre at best. It's a 104.7 offensive rating, but they're still a net plus per 100 possessions, plus 1.4. There's To have it be far from perfect or far from working and the, 
the pairing between them still be effective or on the fringes of effective it's I, like does that spell out a larger coaching failure because then they have the potential to be even better or are we just making too much of the issue and it will come with time because again the nuggets and even their starting lineup um if you look before Millsap's injury they were outscoring opponents by basically 12 points per 100 possessions that Millsap it included was, starting five it was one of the best lineups in the league right go- so that, that's just going. my question is is it is it a coaching failure because we're we're still seeing these numbers and even when they're at their worst, they can still be effective, which makes you think, well, then why aren't they even better? Or – and maybe I shouldn't say at their worst because they could certainly be worse. Or <laughs> is, are we just overblowing this and, hey, it's been three games into Millsap's return. Let's just ride this out and, and, and see what happens. I think it's probably a little bit of both of those. They, nice they probably out. do need – <laughs> they probably do my need, job. Need, yeah, give them some more time to come together. But I sort of my macro take on this is you have a guy who can consistently get you twenty points, twelve rebounds, and seven or eight assists. Are we talking about Boban or Jokic? <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, but if you, I mean, you got to do whatever you. It's uh, there's almost like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde quality with Nikola Jokic. You could get two different players showing up in the same body on a given night. I feel like you got to do whatever you can to get that 2012 and eight guy. And, and somebody, whether it's Malone or some assistant coach needs to be in his ear and saying, we, we just cannot have games where you take five shots. You are our best player. You're not just our best distributor. You're, you're our best scorer. Um, somebody just needs to be building him up and they need to get that 2012 and eight guy as often as they possibly can. And if that comes at the expense of Millsap, um, so be it. I mean, he's obviously an all-star, but he's in his 30s, and he's only going to be there for another couple years. This is your franchise centerpiece in Jokic, and you got to do whatever you can to, to build that guy up. This is going to sound weird, but I think it if we want to maximize Jokic for his entire career, the best-case scenario this year would be missing the playoffs. Because... There are, there are definitely some people throughout the NBA who don't care about stats, and, and Jokic is absolutely one of them, where he just wants yeah. to be making the right plays. He wants to be winning games. And if he spends the last quarter of the season deferring and trying to work Millsap in and not doing what he did throughout January and early February, and they miss the playoffs, then we could see a mentality shift. That's a good point. Yeah, I like that. The irony is is that yeah. he kind of needs someone like Millsap because it's it's so tough to build a league average to above average defense with Jokic as your defensive linchpin. And there are aspects of his defense that are I don't want to use the word underrated, but we exacerbate like his flaws. We're not watching, you know, when we're watching him play defense, he's not the worst defender in the NBA. He's not the he's not the best rim protector. He's far from it, but he's not the worst. He's, he can't survive in space for long periods of time, but he's certainly not the slowest lumbering big in the league. At the same time, you do kind of need that safety net like Millsap. So it kind of seems like they need each other, but they're just playing, as of right now, at least offensively, maybe they're playing the wrong way together. And I agree with everything both of you said. There shouldn't be nights. You know, Jokic's shots with Millsap in a game right now are declining by like four plus per 36 minutes that really should his usage rate is dropping by more than five percentage points that really shouldn't happen and if it's happening you should see his assist rate go through the roof with Millsap on the yeah. floor which it is not so 
Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it just works itself out over time, like you said. I feel like we've spent more time on the Nuggets than any other team. Are well, there any others so in here, the West we want to look at? Well, here's my question. Who do you guys, who are the two teams you guys are leaving out of the Western Conference playoff race as of now? Or I guess for Andy, it's adjusted. <laughs> um, let's start with Adam on this. Oh, um, I don't even feel a little bit bad making you pick. Is that bad? <laughs> no, I mean, we have to pick, but it's so hard. Uh, I think the bottom three for me would be the Clippers due to a lack of talent relative to the rest of the field. The Thunder, who I just I don't think they're nearly as good without their best defender. Sorry, Paul George. Um, and the Spurs, who I, I think are in serious trouble. I, I don't think I'm bold enough to pick both the Spurs and the Thunder. <laughs> So I'll go with the Spurs and the Clippers missing. I was thinking I'm going to go the the bold, go big or go home route. I respect it. <laughs> I'm going to say the Spurs and the Thunder just because what? I've, I've had plenty of takes on this podcast that turned out to be insane. So I'm going to keep going with that trend. I'm going to, I guess, play. Dan is very surprised. <laughs> I'm, uh, to both? <laughs> It's just I don't know how you look. To I the, want the chaos, Dan. I want no. Okay, first of all, if we go into like the last game of the season and the Thunder, both the Thunder and the Spurs are in like win or go home situations, I'll love it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. Who know are their last? Te- who are the last teams on their schedule? Do we know? The Pelicans and the Spurs, I think, closed the season uh, together Ooh. again. Remember that a few years ago, where the the Spurs could have finished what was it anywhere between two and seven. And they were playing the Pelicans, and like the Pelicans needed to win to get in, and they lost. So the Pelicans yeah. got in, and the Spurs ended up sixth. And then I think that was the same year they lost to the Clippers in the first round. So those games. The Spurs. The Spurs OKC's final April. game is Memphis. Oh, that helps. For the Spurs have the Rockets, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Blazers, the Kings, and the Pelicans in April. Um, in April, the Thunder have. They have the Pelicans, the Warriors. The Rockets, the Heat, the Grizzlies. So they have a oh. cupcake game to close the year, but but yeah, the rest of those are rough. I, I look, I'm, I'm going with both of them. Hot take time. I'm just okay. So so your case then you need to be building a hell of a case for the Clippers to get in. I don't know how you look at the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Clippers and say that, and then the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler and say that they're going to get into the playoffs. Oh, like oh, all of those teams are going to get into the playoffs over the you know Spurs what's crazy? and the Thunder. Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler to me is like harder defend, harder to defend than the Clippers right now. Is that crazy? Uh, the, the Clippers don't have a Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. And also, right. as a side note, we need a siren button or sound effect for hot takes. <laughs> that's a good idea because I would be slamming that thing right now. I feel like that needs to happen. Like Andy says, Spurs and Thunder miss the playoffs. Boom! Siren goes off. Um, I, I know I was initially going to leave the Nuggets and the Clippers out, but I, I almost want to put the Timberwolves and the Clippers out of the playoff picture is almost what I'm leaning towards at this point. And you've you've been kind of cold on the Wolves for a while now. Even when so they I'll were good. Yeah. Quote, bunny quotes, good. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't predict Jimmy Butler going out, but still. But I would have never have penciled them out of the playoff picture if Jimmy Butler was healthy. Yeah, that's for sure. That's true. But yeah, they still have All Star snub Andrew Wiggins, though. <laughs> I mean, um. he does. He so in his defense, 
he does look more comfortable in the Sorry, role that you, he... you just used Wiggins and defense in the same word in the same sentence. I was actually wondering if you were going to mention anything about that. In his defense, <laughs> though, he does seem more comfortable in the role that he's currently in without Jimmy Butler than he was with him. Now, to be even more fair, that's arguably additionally concerning because the yeah, long, like the long term, say. <laughs> the long term outlook is hey, uh, you know Jimmy Butler's going to be here. So I just I, I I don't know I I was low on the wolves to begin with and I don't know how I like I just don't I don't know how they're gonna win games w- without him. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns has been mostly amazing since he went out, but now now you're gonna have minutes because you have to have minutes where both Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler aren't on the floor all of a sudden, which is just that's hell on earth and it's, for the Timberwolves. It's scary with yeah. Can you think? I mean, think think about the rosters that they can put out in those situations, or the lineups that they can put out in those situations. Right. They're not pretty. And also think of listen to that. What do you think? They're first of all, how many minutes do you think Wiggins has played without Butler and Towns this season? Well, considering it's Tibbs at the helm, I'm going to say like fifty. <laughs> it's been now. It's been three hundred and sixty-three. The Timberwolves Ah. have a net rating of negative 10.9 during that time. And they have a 9.9 when those three play together, but obviously they're not going to be playing together for some time. I just don't know. We And Andy and I went through this on a previous podcast. There are a bunch of Timberwolves lineups that actually don't include Jimmy Butler that were just okay in the aggregate when you looked at their net rating, but their defensive ratings were like a minimum of 109. It was just they had they have no they do not have the ability to field even close to an effective defense without him, and their most used lineup on the season without Butler is now that um, Belitza lineup where you basically just replace Butler with Belitza and that that's been fine that's a plus nine point eight per hundred possessions with a defensive rating of one hundred five point five which is again fine but you move to again their second most used lineup without Butler defensive rating. 109.3 third most used lineup without butler defensive rating 110.2 fourth most used lineup without butler defensive rating 114.4 and it just it goes on and on from there yeah there's there's definitely some problems going on there is that so you picked the wolves and the clippers to miss yeah i think I'm, that's where i'm at right now it could maybe like in the next 20 minutes it'll change back but last thing on the wolves, did you guys see uh, Tibbs screaming at Jay Crowder the other night? I didn't see him screaming at Jay Crowder. I saw oh, the play man. that I'm assuming made him I just, scream at Jay Crowder. Yeah, in dance boat. I just uh, sent you guys the video. Whether you watch it now or after the podcast doesn't matter to me, but it's wild. <laughs> so I also just want to point out that that means that the three teams were universally the most confident in considering the Nuggets were on the fringe for Dan are the Jazz, the Pelicans, and the Blazers, which is pretty much what we all expected, right? <laughs> that is crazy. Do, oh, man. Does, so, if the, so if the Blazers end up getting the third seed, do we need to give, like, Terry Stotts some Coach of the Year love or something? I know the roster has Probably. been... Probably. Yeah, just because they have the continuity in their favor, but that's not, when you look at their roster, that's not necessarily a good thing. No, there's no way I would have looked at that roster preseason and thought third seed. I'm I'm still gonna say no just because Coach of the Year is a zero sum award and Dwayne Casey should win it. I think Dwayne Casey's the I pick, think Chris but I'm Casey should too. Yeah, but I'm just if if the Blazers get the third seed, like because this isn't a situation that you have in New Orleans where if the Pelicans get the third seed, 
it's just oh Anthony Davis is amazing. I mean, if you want to have him on the ballot, that's fine by me. I just I don't think he would deserve a first place vote still. Casey in the conversation pick. is it, I, I mean I I would at least put him there. But yeah, I'm with you guys. I I think Dan and I even picked Dwayne Casey as coach of the year a couple episodes back. He's I'm, been really good. I'm watching that Tibbs video right now, by the way, and I want to just die laughing. <laughs> He's just screaming, you mother effort, to Jay Crowder <laughs> in the middle of a game. Rudy Gobert's it, face in the screenshot below it, too, when he knows it's about it. I love that Jay Crowder's been in Utah for a minute and is he like was one of the first people to run up to Jeff Teague yeah, when he— He's already like the emotional leader of the team. It's crazy. And not surprising at all. That's it's just awesome. amazing how like emotionally shattered he was by the Cavaliers. Do you think yeah. – this was a question that was asked. I think Zach Lowe asked it on the low post to David Griffin when he did a Sloan podcast with him. Does that impact the way you view LeBron James's legacy at all, that his teams are so – and it's not an opinion. His teams, at least over the past, I would say dating back to his final year in Miami, have become mentally fragile. They're I think just, this year more than any other, we've heard a lot about that kind of stuff with LeBron. That it's just, I think it was, uh, it was another low post, and I think this one was with Windhor, Windhorst. They were saying that there, there's just tons of examples of it being really hard to play with him for like psychological reasons. But I think yeah. you could say the same thing about Michael Jordan, right? But In a different way, though, because I think Jordan was so hard to play with because of the competitive spirit and yeah, demanding the, the best demanding, out of everybody. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like the, the narrative that we've heard around LeBron this year kind of reinforces my view that LeBron is the best basketball player we've ever seen, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the greatest or has had the best career. Yeah, I saw you tweet that the other day, actually, and I think that's a good way to phrase it. Best versus greatest. There's definitely a distinction. Yeah, I think so, too. And that when as soon as I saw that written out the way you did, I thought, oh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Now, do you – both of you have the Jazz getting in the playoffs then, right? If it, neither of you picked them in your bottom two. Is yeah, that, I'm not as confident as I was like two weeks ago, but I, I still think they'll get in. Their remaining schedule is pretty easy, I think. They had Remember yeah, they had I mean, like a 90% chance to get in according to 538 and then the Western Conference was went all like Western the Conference. Of their winning, I think that was when they were 11 straight wins. Yeah, it, I mean it's, it's a combination for me of them being better than the record would indicate – having an easy remaining schedule, having Gobert back, which they haven't had all season, Donovan Mitchell continuing to get better. Like everything points towards an upward trajectory, and you can't say the same about all the other teams. They also they have the sixth best net rating in the West this season. Like for the season. That's encapsulating yeah. all their yeah. struggles, including the win streak. That lineup with having Crowder and, and Ricky Rubio in it, uh it's only played in four games because Rubio was injured, but they I think it's Ingles, Mitchell, Rubio, Gobert, and Crowder. You're basically subbing out favors for Crowder. That it's been crazy. It's been it destroys opponents statistically. I think there are plus a zillion points per 100 possessions or something like that. And the the, the like the the relative simplicity of their schedule is kind of a big deal for me too. But it seems that it's it's weird that the Spurs don't have their best player, have the hardest schedule remaining in the league 
and picking them to be outside the playoffs is kind of hot takey, but the Jazz are sitting here in 10th, and we're all just like, yeah, they'll probably get in. <laughs> well, here's, here's the crux of my case for them. Um, since Gobert came back on January 19th, he's averaging 15 points, 11 rebounds, 2.5 blocks, shooting 61% from the field. And Utah's plus 10.2 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. And they're allowing 98.2 when he's on the floor. It looks like they've got last season's Rudy Gobert back um, just in time, too, for this playoff push. Obviously, that return, that that 11-game win streak has been since this return, too. Uh, They are just, they're a completely different team when they have a healthy Rudy Gobert available. Um, Thibodeau said this during that, ESPN broadcast the other night against the Jazz. I think he said it a couple times even that Gobert is a defense unto himself, which is an interesting quote, especially coming from one of our. I mean, he's been revered as one of the best defensive minds in the league for the last several years. Um, so as long as Gobert's on the floor, they're going to defend the crap out of people, uh, and I think they get just enough offense from Donovan Mitchell. Um, Joe Ingles has been ridiculous again this season. There's there's enough talent up and down the roster to support that one-man defense and I, I and we've mentioned the remaining schedule a couple of times I think all those ingredients together um, makes them seem like a fairly comfortable shot now like I said I'm not as confident as I was in the uh, during the win streak but uh, it, it still looks like a fairly safe bet but Andy all Gobert does is take close range shots so <laughs> he, he's pretty replaceable and anyone could fill that role um Man, it's amazing how often you still see that stuff. Like, he needs to add a jump hook. No, he doesn't. He needs to <laughs> shoot could... from the corners. I just, I just, I've never gotten that argument. Like, if it's so easy to dunk the ball and to take exactly. close shots and be a roll man all the time, then why doesn't everyone do it? Yes, exactly. If every player could dunk or attempt to dunk on, like, all of their shots, they would do it. <laughs> the, completely right. A team we haven't really talked about too much, and we've all penciled them in for a playoff team, the Pelicans. What is their is – the, is the buttress of their case just, man, Anthony Davis is really good? Yeah. I mean, Anthony yes. Davis is basically like a <laughs> basketball god now. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk about them earlier when we were talking about which, which team are we most confident in, like which one could we come closest to making that bet on. Um, I almost said the Pelicans – just because You're drunk. of this <laughs> of this huge clump of teams that we've been talking about, Anthony Davis is certainly the best individual player, right? There was um, the, the, pl- the play that like the play that just quintessentially illustrates what he's been doing was I don't know if you saw it. It was the Pelican Spurs game where New Orleans came from behind to win. And again, I know the Spurs didn't have Aldridge down the stretch of that game, but Drew Holiday misses two free throws. And there's four guys around the spur uh, around Anthony Davis, and he still gets the offensive rebound. Yep. And Drew Holiday's been really good in this stretch too. Uh, so I think they have two <clears throat> two missed free great... throws in crunch time, not notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to re- I, we've we've thrown these numbers out on the podcast before, but I think they bear repeating. Since Demarcus Cousins went down, uh, Anthony Davis is averaging thirty three point three points, thirteen point three rebounds. 2.4 blocks, 2.3 steals, 2.2 assists, 1.2 threes, shooting 50% from the field and 35% from three. I, I think he can, like, the, what may, what's maybe even crazier is I think he can conceivably maintain that for the rest of the season. And to me, that's enough to, to keep them in the playoffs. 
So since Cousins has gotten hurt and without Drew Holiday, Davis is averaging 48.2 points, 19.4 rebounds, and 6.2 blocks per 36 minutes. Holy cow. And I totally just made that up, but you believed it. Oh, yeah. He's been that good. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I totally believe that. The only thing that I think I worry about is Anthony Davis hasn't been historically the healthiest basketball player. And, like, his usage over the last seven games alone is over 34. It's just if if he gets injured, the Pelicans are done, or maybe defenses find a way to adjust. But at the same time, he's been hitting a bunch of tough shots. The Pelicans haven't exactly been feasting on cupcake opponents during this stretch. Like the game against Miami that went into overtime, the Heat are sometimes a good team. Milwaukee, we think, is a good team. That was a great overtime victory. The victory against the Spurs, even though they lost Aldridge, was big time. I I still see holes for them, but they're getting good performances from Emeka Okafor in addition to Drew Holiday. That's an awesome story. Anthony Davis is just a superhuman. Like, I, I don't... I don't even know. And his usage, it's incredible. He just, he has not been turning the ball over during this stretch too, which has been something that's not really talked about with him. But when you look at some of the shots he's had to take and his usage, he has a turnover rate below seven over his last seven games, which is just, that's incredible to me. I I can't picture them falling out of, of the playoff race, but also they were not like that good of a team with DeMarcus Cousins. They started to play better before he went down, but I'm wondering if that's a red flag in any way because they weren't this dominant team with DeMarcus Cousins, and all of a sudden, now they're nine games over 500, and they're tied in the loss column with the third seed in the West. They're one game back in the win column. Is that a red flag to anybody or no? I wonder more if it's a red flag for Cousins. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing pretty much. I've been, a, I've been a boogie defender pretty much throughout his career just because of the amount of talent that he has and the individual production. But the, the evidence is mounting that it's really hard to win with him. And what Davis is doing isn't sustainable over the course of a full season, I think, uh, just because he's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but it, it seems to be yet another knock against Cousins, which isn't really what he wants entering an offseason where he could opt out and hit free agency. To be fair, though, before he went down, it did seem like, and that was, is that it did kind of seem like... They were figuring it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I just, I think it's more of a red flag for Cousins than for the Pelicans' playoffs hope, playoff hopes. I think I, I was going to say pretty much the same thing. I think there are a lot of people who would argue this is just more evidence that you can't build a winner around DeMarcus Cousins. I'm not sure if I'm on that Boat, yeah, but yeah I they think were seven and they were going way. through a seven and one streak before he went down. So like the hot streak kind of started with him. I mm-hmm. I would I still think you could. I guess I'm probably more on the latter part of Adam's case that it's probably might be a knock against Boogie, but I'm still not. I believe that you could build a winner around him if the Pelicans yeah. had more shooters for most of the season around Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins or just wings in general. They probably would have been better off from the jump. Yeah, just in case I'm not clear enough, like I think it allows for that possibility. I don't subscribe to that theory. And I think that a lot of the struggles that we saw, like Dan just said, comes from pretty terrible roster construction. Well, speaking of uh, which, last I'm very interested that, I was, to see how much he gets. Let me get agency. one more thing in. Oh, never, never mind. Go ahead. That was That's it. That was just, I just don't, I'm so fascinated because of what Adam said. 
that has to impact his free agency value. His injury Somebody impacts his free agency. Who? 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 That's my question. I just who? feel like there's got to be a couple. I, I know that the money is like super tight this summer, but there's got to be a couple max guys still. I, I don't think he's going to get a max. I don't wow. think so. I don't think so either. I mean, I was going through. I was I was writing an article. I think it was a week or two ago about a free agent target for every team, and I wound up. I ended up leaving Demarcus Cousins and DeAndre Jordan just out of that article completely because I wasn't keep like picking incumbent free agents for teams, so I didn't list them for the Clippers and Pelicans. But I was looking at it, and one, the big man market's oversaturated. Two, Cousins is working off this usually career-altering, if not ruining, injury. And then, as Andy said, three, the money's just not available. I don't know where the max offer sheet's coming from. It would make most sense. It would have to be from a team that would first have to, like, go through the salary-shedding motions if the Bucks decided to renounce, like, Jabari and then, like, trade off some of their crappy salary. And four, he's going to be 28 this offseason, which means that you're paying him through his— through it, through like becoming thirty-two years old, which is in a vacuum Matt, fine, but that has more than I would think more to do with Achilles, his injury. Though. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. the that's I think that's just he could be twenty-five and coming off an Achilles injury, and I think that would still be the issue. The Mavericks have a history of paying a ton of money to recent Achilles tears, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the Mavericks also have a recent history of missing out on big free agents. That's true too. Boogie will but if commit they're the to only them team only that to end up back in Sacramento. Back, what is prediction? Yeah. <laughs> um, who else has cap space? Or I don't even know if the Mavericks do. I just the Lakers. Well, and that will also, but to Adam's point though, that's really where the age thing comes in, right? Because most of the teams that have appreciable cap space, Boogie's now at that age. They're rebuilding teams, and Boogie's now at that age where, particularly post Achilles you're not going to want him to headline your rebuild. Maybe, maybe the Lakers could talk themselves into it, so, like Adam said, if they miss on everybody else. But Max? Before he got hurt, uh, my favorite like Lakers scenario was LeBron and Boogie both going there. But obviously that's a much different proposition now. Wait, did I mean, you, I think, did you guys, I think what he should... Re- go ahead, go Adam. Ahead. Sorry. No, I was just... It's completely... Did you see the tweet? I just... I love Lakers fans. It was after the Kawhi Leonard stuff happened... Like the last oh, yeah, match yeah, with, yeah. with with Pop saying he wouldn't play again this season, and someone tweeted at Bleacher Report slash Basketball Insiders Eric Pinkus asking, "Is there any way for the Lakers to sign Paul George and LeBron James and then and then trade for Kawhi Leonard?" And I just couldn't stop laughing because it wasn't done in jest; it was just like an actual question. I mean, I'm about to propose a ridiculously ludicrous scenario too so what if what if cousins just decides that he's tired of hearing about how he can't win signs a one-year minimum deal with the warriors just to prove that he can be on a title (laughs) team and then hits free agency again that would be something (laughs) you heard it (laughs) yeah then he's gonna also be an interesting spot for that narrative but he would he would probably be a perennial hall all star on the Spurs still if he went there that would probably be the one fit but I wouldn't want the Spurs shelling if you, if, you, if even if you could get rid of Pau Gasol I, I still wouldn't want him there and it, you know Adam if he did sign a one year minimum with the Warriors think about how all the minutes he would lose to Jordan Bell that might <laughs> torpedo his stock I'm just trying to imagine people's reactions to that happening um, that tweet that you mentioned Dan made me think of uh this tweet from Kirk Serious Face, former guest of the 
the pod, he came on and previewed the Mavericks for us one year. He said, I'm seeing, man, Randall is so good stuff from fans who wanted to trade him. I need the Lakers to be good again soon. Knicks entitlement makes no sense. Boston entitlement is stale now. Warriors entitlement is whiny. No, give me unfiltered, loud and proud Laker exceptionalism. <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, they are very and it, proud. Sure, go ahead. They've got to be the leakiest team in the league from their own, like, trying to manipulate the narrative, right? Because you hear, oh, people think the Mavericks are going to give Julius Randle 17 to $18 million a year. No, no. <laughs> Julius Randle's not getting $17 million a year. They are, yeah, they're a fun fan base for sure. Um, should we move on to the tankers? I feel like we've kind of exhausted the Western playoff race. Does anyone have predictions that they're willing to throw out for what the Western playoff bracket's going to look like now? We have the two teams that are going to be out, but do you have your top eight? No, not even close. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could do that either. Um, I'm comfortable predicting a Warriors-Rockets Conference finals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not. What if? Oh, interesting. What if? Just go with me. What if the Spurs get in? Kawhi's back. Kawhi's close to Kawhi. That's a team. If they end up facing the Rockets in the first or the second round, that's a team. I think that could still give Houston problems. The Rockets are yeah. the superior team. But if you have Kawhi Leonard on the floor with the Spurs, you wouldn't give them a shot in that series. To win a couple I'd, games, maybe. Yeah, I would give them. I mean, I winning a couple games in the series is like putting you on the verge of winning the series. No, I mean literally a couple. (laughs) I don't think I would be. There's, there's too much to work out there. I think Uh, he's got his quad injury, and there's just all this drama. Um, It's very unspurs what's going on right now. But Houston is like they're just a machine right now. Right, and they've lost one I, game, I blah, think, blah, blah, with Capella and Paul and Harden in the lineup. They're spectacular, I don't think but... there's enough firepower for them to keep up. And and they're so deep this season, too, the Rockets. I would and they have, can play, like, four different styles. I, I think they're a much different team than they were last season. I would have no desire if I were them to face the Spurs in the first or the second round. That would not be... if you have, Especially if you win the number one seed and if your reward ends up being facing San Antonio. That would be interesting, yeah, 1-8. <laughs> the 1-8... Then that's probably the most interesting one eight matchup for sure. I also would like to see Warriors Nuggets for some reason. I feel like the Nuggets can. I think the Nuggets are the one team that could beat them. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. If in terms of eight seeds, maybe. Yeah, not including the Rockets. Okay, the one team in the West that can beat the Warriors aside from the Rockets is the Nuggets. That's it. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just because they've been like relatively the team with the offensive firepower. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does. It almost doesn't matter that their defense can be so bad because the Warriors already maximize their possessions. So the ability to actually score with them matters. I agree with the argument. I don't agree with the conclusion from that argument. I don't think I would probably take over the Nuggets uh, after beyond the Rockets. I'd probably still go. Well, the Spurs aren't healthy, so I can't use that hypothetical. I might still go the Thunder. I still have hope for them. I'm holding that hope. That ship is sinking fast Although it for is, me. It is ridiculous that Adam can say that, not be, not sound crazy, and yet the team he's talking about might not <laughs> might not make play. playoffs. Yeah. yeah, man, the Western Conference. Now yeah, I mean, like the the team that I I think you don't want to play in the first round is currently sitting in tenth in the standings. So 
who knows what's going to happen. If the Spurs and the Thunder miss the playoffs, what happens? Honestly, uh, does Paul, Paul George, George leave? Right? He leaves. Again? Yeah. He has to go east at that point. Though. Are you going to go to the Lakers and just not make the playoffs at all again next year? <laughs> like what? That's a good point, actually. I don't. I don't know why anybody would willingly come over at this point. Pull the Gordon Hayward. Go to the easier conference. Yeah, but then when LeBron is on the Sixers, do you really want to mess with that? That's true too. <laughs> it's a it's a lose lose proposition. Dario Saric actually just killed that idea by dunking on the Cavaliers at the end of that loss. <laughs> the and reaction to that was so. so funny. Joel Embiid um, was so mad at Saric until Jordan Clarkson like started talking and he like focused on him. But <laughs> I'm so the uh, tankers really quick. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was looking at. This is more league wide. Who I, I believe I kind of I threw this in at the end of a podcast a week or two ago to Andy about who his bottom three teams are going to be. Adam, do you have picks for which teams you think are going to finish with the bottom three record? All of them. <laughs> I'll name it. So to review right now, the Grizzlies have the worst record in the NBA, which I'm sure Mark Gasol is thrilled about. And they've lost 13 straight. So yeah. they are cruising right now. They haven't won since the Spurs were a playoff team. <laughs> I mean, I think this is even harder than picking the Western playoff teams. Because you're picking Genuinely. against teams that don't want to win games. It's like, yeah. Well, it, it's it's kind of like that. But like, I, I think I told you this on the side the other day. Like, Tanking is, is such an interesting thing because it happens before games, not necessarily during it. Like all these players, you can't tell me that they're trying to lose the game once tip-off happens. Right, but it's... So, it's a balance of which front office is trying to do the most to tank and has the players who can't necessarily pull it off when they're on the court. My, Just look at the Grizzlies roster if you want if you want to look at the players who can't pull it off. But like it, My, Tyree <laughs> Evans is better than than anybody on the Hawks. But will right they now. even play him for the rest of the season? But that's why I he's have no idea. It, that's why he's playing, saying it happens before the games. My counter argument would be if you look at, and they're not doing it anymore because Mark Cuban was fined $600,000, but you looked at like some of the Mavericks' closing lineups and you see Dirk and Harrison Barnes both on the bench in those games. That, that I, tanking happens during games. I'm convinced of it. From the coaching staff, sure. That's still during the game, and that's like but, that's a huge part okay, of it. Okay, that's fair. But I think that's also an exception because Rick Carlisle is so entrenched as their head coach that he can afford to do something like that. You're never going to see that happen with an interim head coach or somebody who doesn't enjoy like unabashed job security. Like Fred Hoiberg isn't going to do that. Harrison Barnes on the bench down the oh. stretch is probably the right <laughs> move either thing. way. <laughs> um, they the Grizzlies have 18 wins. That's the worst. They have the worst record in the league. The Bulls have the eighth worst record in the league, and they have 21 wins. So it's about the tank race is about as tight as three through ten is in the West. Uh, you could pick any three of these teams finishing bottom three, and I would not be surprised. I mean, but I'm, I'm going to put gonna... on my Homer hat. Go ahead. I'm going to put on my Homer hat with the Hawks just because only the Suns among these tanking teams have a more difficult schedule, and I think that the Hawks have the least talented roster of all of them. <sighs> Assuming that Tyreek the, is allowed to play again. The yeah, John Collins, Torian Prince shade over here, Adam. Jeez. <laughs> oh, there will never be any shade towards the best player in Wake Forest history. But there will be some towards Prince. Whoa, you don't like Torian Prince? 
I love Torian Prince. I, no, I, I, I think that he settles I, in as a role player throughout his career. I, this is is that me okay? And is, had this debate too. That's like seventy five percent of the league. You don't like Torian Prince either, Bales? I don't. We've talked about this. I, don't I, do, I do not him. consider him a I don't building hate him. block. What is your? I, I mean, <laughs> what is your problem? <laughs> but yeah, like I, I don't. I, here's my point. No, all right, so so here's Torian my point though is. Prince. What did you? What did you? Is he supposed to be a star? He was drafted at number twelve, I think, in twenty sixteen. I mean, he's good. I don't. I, I, you guys like are a, basically saying the Boston version of Jay Crowder, who can run pick and roll, is not going to be a good player. No way. Get the hell no out way. of here. Yeah, his value has his value has stagnated or declined, even though he's making more three pointers. The development isn't there. The consistency isn't there. He doesn't do that many things well. I, I just don't see it. <laughs> Man, like maybe I love that if, this if you podcast keep him around, if you keep him around thing. Go ahead. during the Hawks rebuild, like he's he's a sixth man at best. He's become a better passer, even though he turns the ball over probably too much, and he's being asked to play a role on offense that he probably shouldn't play anyway. You're gonna say that his value has declined, even though he's making more of his threes. I think that's ludicrous to say. The the one concern I will have, and I'm going to reiterate. That he, I, I granted he's an older sophomore because he's going to turn 24 this month, but you can't really at six eight. He kind of has a little bit of Rodney Hood syndrome where you don't want to match him up with bigger wings, but that might come in time if he becomes stronger or if he just gets more experience. I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but to be like down on Torian Prince is just very weird to me. Well, I think if you're at a point where the Hawks are in a rebuild that's really just starting, you need your young guys to have star potential. And I, I don't view anyone on this roster as a sure thing, long-term keeper other than John Collins. John Collins is not going to be a star though. Like, are, 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 is that like a hot take? You, what is like, what I is think John, that's a little hot takey. Yeah. Is, I don't know if you can like unequivocally say that. What is John Collins I, going to be then? What is his ceiling? I'm not trying to say his ceiling isn't higher than Torian Prince's, but if you're going to well, sit here I, I and think, say that he's the one player on the team with a, with a superstar I think he could be ceiling. a 20 and well, 10 I guy. Say superstar. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you can look at him as a potential all-star reserve in the Eastern Conference, and that's a lot more than you can say about anybody else. Maybe. I just find it weird that we're me- – what are we all of a sudden measuring, like late lottery picks against Donovan Mitchell, so we have to be down on Torian <laughs> Prince? I find that very weird. I mean, I've been down on him for a while. All right, my bottom three is going to be the Grizzlies, the Suns, and the Hawks. In that order? Yes. I so think the Grizzlies finish with the worst record. You're picking the standings? Because that's what they are now, right? Um, Grizzlies. Got, Tankathon has the Hawks as the fifth worst record, but they do have the same record as the Kings and the Mavericks. So, yeah, pretty much what it is right now. But it'll be great when, like, tiebreakers, you're actually penalized for winning if it comes to that. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Um, so the tiebreaker, it says on Tankathon, the tiebreaker is the random drawing. Oh, they don't go – they should. All right, well, they should change that. They should penalize teams that have, like, the better conference That would be pretty records. funny. That would be hysterical. I'm going to go with Hawks, Kings, Mavericks. The Kings, really? I feel like they're so peppy, even though they're, they're like numbers are historically bad. Maybe I'm just I've been I've been watching too many like Bogdan clips. He's good. Or I'm just really biased against the Kings at this point. 
which is probably fair. For no particular reason. Oh, no, there's a particular reason. Oh, there's a particular reason. I'm going to file a formal complaint with you about your particular reason <laughs> after this podcast. How would you grade their season so far? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Yes, Bogdanovich is good. Um, a lot better. And he pointed this out to me, too, in another podcast. I don't want to make it seem like we're just re-recording, but he watched more of him coming into the NBA. I had no idea that he was going to be such a good, like, passer, pick-and-roll ball handler. Yeah, I'll put good in bunny quotes because the Kings could be a mess. But he's been he's been super good. I still really like Willie Cauley-Stein. I'm a little bit disappointed with how Scal has followed up the end of last year, even as he's gotten more playing time this year. I I kind of love a little bit that Jakar Sampson is getting minutes in the NBA again. That's always great stuff. Um, how old is he? I think he's like 40. <laughs> no, he what? is 24. He's the about to turn 25. The Kings play blow my, my mind, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I just I don't mind watching the Kings anymore. Is that a terrible thing to say? I don't. No, I, I think that's yeah. legit. I hate that Zach Randolph is on this team. I'm not even talking about like I'm not looking at his minutes. And I think Dave Yeager. I don't know that he saved his job, but we killed him on the podcast earlier in the year for the minutes distribution with the centers. Uh, he's kind of helped himself looking at the optics just because he doesn't play veterans every night and he's given some more minutes to the youth but you just you look at like some of the lineups the kings have been running out it's just bizarre that uh that loss to the jazz on saturday they started fox bogdanovich jackson kufos and randolph what is that the random Kufos start is what that is is that like a what? tanking move or is that like is that what is that i, honestly, I think it is. what is that <laughs> Well, he's been weird with the center stuff all season. There's been like a random Koopa start every two weeks. I, I, I don't know. I blame the front office more than him for that, by the way. They gave him a roster with mm-hmm. basically a gazillion a bigs. I did, never understood yeah, that. Um, my bottom three, I think I'm going with Grizzlies, Hawks, and I'm going to say Mavericks. I really want to put the magic there, but I feel like they're going to sleepwalk their way into some random Eastern Conference wins. Yeah, for me, I was... it comes down to the teams that you don't want to bet against to to a certain extent. Like, the Bulls are, uh, hilarious as this sounds, the, obviously the best team of this bunch, I think. I don't want to bet against Devin Booker. I have trouble with the Grizzlies just because Marc Gasol has declined so much this year, but we know what he can do, and we know how motivated he is to prove that this isn't a G League team. So there, there are just so many weird the Grizzlies, factors here. The Grizzlies have to shut him down, right? Because I understand there's, I believe, I'm not sure who said this, so but I, so I guess that this is terrible to say, but someone was talking about how the Suns have basically admitted that shutting down Eric Bledsoe kind of soured the relationship there. But, like, Marcus Gasol is visibly pissed off while he's yeah. playing you have to shut it that's not even a tanking move it's just if he's not going to have the patience to understand what we're doing here and that's why the, and not to get too profound on this that's why you never should have gotten to a situation where you needed to pick Marcus Gasol over your head coach they like, should have traded him too yeah they yep. he should have been he should have been gone and then now what impression is I'm, I think Tyreek Evans's ribs injury is real, but like, what if it's a, a thing where he can come back and they don't bring him back? Then they will bring him back. Okay, so you didn't trade him, and now you're leaving this lasting tanking impression and, on yep. him. That's that's Another such a joke. mess. It was amazing that they didn't trade him for, you know, whatever they were offered, and then talks of buyout happened like after the deadline. 
mine too. Oh wait, there was actually. Just, there, I, didn't what, even see I don't that. know what. Yeah, I missed that. I, too. I'm pretty sure I saw. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. So hopefully I didn't misspeak there. No, did you confuse um, Tyreek Evans with Corey Brewer again? I hate when that happens. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it matters right? too much the impression you leave with the Memphis fans when it's going to be Seattle soon anyway, right? Oh my God, Adam! <laughs> we gotta get expansion, Adam. We need to uh, we need to screen our podcast best a little a little better before we bring him on. He's out here taking the Grizzlies away from the city of Memphis. He hasn't been on in six months. Um, I think that's probably a good spot to wrap it up. Do you guys have anything else on the the Great Tankathon or the Western Conference? Race. Do you think bad impressions at the end? Yeah, that was the only team that we really didn't mention would have been the the Brooklyn Nets, who have been they're one and nine over their last ten. I don't know what they try really hard and they don't have their pick, so I, I think that precludes them from the worst record yeah, conversation. Yeah. But are they an organic like are, are they at a risk of being like an organic tanker just because? They've been bad with, especially defensively, with Dinwiddie and Russell on the floor, and that's kind of the combination you have to milk over these final games because both of them are, can get extensions this summer, I believe, and then you have both of them entering free agency in 2019, and now they're in this weird spot where you have to start thinking about they're a fascinating situation. I don't think enough people care about the Nets or watch the Nets, even though I still find them fun to watch when they're losing. To, to really dig into it, but they're in a fascinating situation because they've they've done everything right under Sean Marks, in my opinion, relative to their situation. Because you can't like they didn't have they didn't control the rights to their own picks. They're finally going to get all those back starting next year, and yet now you're getting to a point where you're almost going to be penalized for finding these diamonds among the dregs because Joe Harris is a free agent this summer. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, restricted free agent next year. Russell, restricted free agent next year. Dinwiddie, slated for UFA, I believe, next year. So now you have to reinvest in this roster if you want to keep any of the young guys that you've taken flyers on. So they're, they're going to be fascinating to me. And the defense has been, which has been, relative to expectations, again, has been kind of a high point for them. It's been really, really bad with Dinwiddie and Russell on the floor this year. I trust the talent there, at least relative to the rest yeah. of the tankers. Um, they're minus 2.1 for the season per 100 possessions when Dinwiddie and Russell are on, which obviously isn't good. 111.6 defensive rating, though. Yeah. It's better than their overall net rating of minus 4.7. Um, and it's probably going to be better, if, if they maintain that, it's probably going to be better than some of the stuff that the Grizzlies or the Kings or the Hawks or the other teams we've talked about also would throw out there. So I think um, I think I'm mostly like I, I'm pretty high on the Dinwiddie Russell combination still. Like I think that can work. Um, not to the extent that they'll like go on a run or anything, but I think they'll win just enough games to, to avoid this. You think they're the second best team in this by virtue of, I guess, trying to win in this tank um, behind the Bulls? Or are they the best team, maybe? Yeah, I don't even know if I'd be. I'm not 100% confident in saying the Bulls are the best team in this group. Um, well, could they be the probably... first tanker in history that have to shut down their youngsters that need to be playing more <laughs> because they're winning too much? I think the Bulls, Magic, and Nets would be like in that conversation for me. I think you could make an argument for any of those three teams being the, the I best. I want to include the, the Suns there also. The, oh, yeah, because they've got Devin Booker, and, and Alfred Payton's been feisty since he got there, so that's probably true. Josh Jackson, yeah. too. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah, I just have trouble including the Nets in this conversation just because they don't have anything to lose for. No, it's just they're 
Like the other teams are going to keep getting worse, and they're not. Okay, so here's here's my thing with the Nets is that they f- they feel like less Lakery though, where the Lakers are going to actively try and win games out of spite. It seems like, and they're going to play Isaiah Thomas a bunch of minutes. The Nets are going to take risks and experiment with lineup combinations, and they're not not that they're not going to care about the result, but I don't think they're trying to. This regime is so. Not so far removed from the draft day disasters or the draft pick disasters, but they've moved so far beyond it that their their tanking could be more like incidental than intentional. So like that that type of thing. But I that's just me for them. That's why they would only belong in the conversation. I mean, we've seen it. They've lost a bunch of games um, in recent weeks. So I'm gonna say they stay out of the bottom three. I think they ultimately yeah, will, too. The last thing I wanted to ask, because I know Andy's trying to get out of here, do you guys have a favorite tanker to watch? None of them. All right. <laughs> um, that's a good spot to end. Peace out, everyone. Mine, <laughs> I would go either Brooklyn, who we just talked about, or Orlando for no other reason uh, than Mario Hazonia, <laughs> which I actually was like tempted to bring up earlier. I think it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, sorry to Magic fans, but... They declined this 22-year-old's <laughs> option um, for his last season on his rookie contract, and now he's like legitimately good for a couple months now. Um, yeah, don't you I, wonder if that was intentional? Like he was just waiting and biding yeah, his somebody, time. <laughs> somebody tweeted that at me the other day. They were like, "This is the stealth tank move from an individual player." <laughs> he just he hated being on the Magic so much that he tanked his own career for a couple years, and now he's gonna have a chance to sign somewhere else. Yeah, I didn't make culpa with he's that. He's going to be an interesting free agent. Yeah, I had said that uh, he can only make what his team option was from every team, but I need to make culpa on that. It was it's he can the Magic can only pay him the option that they they declined. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that he would get. I think it's 5.2 million or whatever it was. But even if it's a difference of like 200k, where another team's only offering him five or something, that's not enough of a trump card for him to go back to Orlando. No, I don't think so either. And I it, I don't think he's going to get offered much more than that either from any other team. Um, but I'm with you. I, I would be stunned if he went back to the Magic. I'd be, I'd be shocked. Well. And it's great that he could possibly ruin their tank on his way out. That would be even better. <laughs> <laughs> he's been awesome. Yep. Um, to answer your question, though, Dan, the Suns would be my choice just because the Booker. Josh Jackson growth and, and watching Devin Booker, who is so much better this year than he was last year. Uh, those those two pieces alone, plus Alfred Payton trying in Phoenix, um, those those push them ahead of everybody else for me. That was the same answer for the exact reason. I'm, and I think part of what I like watching is I can't I can't figure out Josh Jackson's offensive game really. I think we're starting to see that he's a better passer than most people realize coming out of the draft. But his like you just I don't know he can't shoot three. He's not a reliable three point shooter. Yet he'll have like those nights where he goes maybe three or four or he's, you know, 2 of 5 or something, but then there he's 0 of 3, he's he's 1 of 5 and then his free throws are even more like confusing. There's the the game against I think it was Memphis, he was 10 of 13 uh and he was 8 of 11 in a game against the Pelicans. I think those games were back to back and then he faces that game of OKC and he's 2 of 5. He's just He's so fascinating to me, and I think the defensive ceiling is there. He can't guard fours yet, but I, I think he'll get there. But that's why the Suns are, are my favorite. Devin Booker's fun to watch, even though uh, the metrics still don't love him, but you try getting the metrics to love you on that there, Phoenix Suns team. 
They're right. coming around on him, though. Yep. The defensive metrics are not, though, if I'm not mistaken, right? He's they're not, not um, but his yeah, offense about is that same. much better now. Yeah, and Alfred Payton has been good since he was there, and then TJ Warren sometimes does some things. So I, the Suns are probably my favorite tanker with the Nets are a close second. And they're not really a tanker, somebody, which is probably why I didn't consider them. Somebody tweeted at me the other day and asked if I if just basically pick between Clay Thompson and Devin Booker. And like my instant reaction was Clay Thompson, obviously. But it's interesting to look at those two, uh, their numbers side by side. I was surprised. Um, that's all I will say. So Booker has definitely been better this season. I'm with you guys on that. Uh, hopefully he'll go for 70 again in another meaningless game. Um, anything else, guys? No, I think we uh, successfully didn't help make sense of the Western Conference playoff race at all. But that is <laughs> the other goal. Yeah. Uh, everybody's crazy as we anticipated before we started recording. Uh, if you want to shout at us or digitally shout at us for any of our takes, um, especially our hotter takes, you can find all of us on Twitter, Adam, like uh, Dan said, is on Twitter at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Make sure you're following all of those accounts. They will enrich your life. Um, speaking of enriching your life, leaving a review or a rating will do so. Uh, telling your friends to subscribe will also enrich your life because then you can talk about these wonderful conversations um, that you've heard on Hardwood Knox, and, and you'll just love talking about the NBA. Um, so coerce your friends into subscribing. Steal their phones, like Dan said. Uh, we appreciate all that. Until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Bino Udri, and because I'm feeling nice today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson, too. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.